0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning to you all. Actually, it's uh, just nearly afternoon already, but it's really good to see all of you here today because uh, we have a really good passage before us. So let's uh, go to God in prayer to ask God to help us to understand what Matthew chapter 9 is about and what it really means for us today. All right, so let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to ask you for your help to understand Matthew chapter 9 and to see that we all need forgiveness and more than that, that we need to really see uh, Jesus free from our own limitations. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now what would you do if God disagreed with you? Now what would you do If you disagreed against God, or if Jesus didn't meet your expectations. So I remember very clearly there was this Indian man, very intelligent, very articulate, I think he was university, and uh, he had become a Christian uh, for just a few months, very nice guy, but after a while he stopped coming to church, and when I asked him why he had stopped coming to church, he said it was because he didn't agree with what Jesus was saying about morality, what the Bible said about morality. And I think that's what can happen to us, right? We become disappointed with Jesus. We become disillusioned with Jesus. We feel that Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter 9, it is actually at that moment where there is this very crucial change of tone in the book of Matthew. Because up to now, in Matthew chapter 8, we see that Jesus has been quite positively received by people. You know, generally people are very happy to have Jesus come, you know, he's healing, preaching. But from Matthew chapter 9 onwards, we see that there's growing opposition and rejection of Jesus. And one of the main reasons is because Jesus is going beyond the box of expectations that people expect of him. So it begins in chapter 9 with his encounter with the paralytic So in verse 1, it says Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. So he went back to Capernaum, where he came from. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if I was the paralyzed man in the story When I first met Jesus, I'm not sure how I would have reacted if uh, Jesus' first word to me would be, uh, your sins are forgiven. Because you know, you've been paralyzed for maybe your whole life or at least a very long time. Your friends had, you know, queued up with a big, big queue. And now you finally met this fantastic healer and he says to you, your sins are forgiven. I'm not sure whether I'll be very happy, but... That is not the point of the narrative, right? Because the point of the narrative is that it wasn't that the man was unhappy, but it was that the Pharisees were unhappy. Now, why were the Pharisees unhappy? The Pharisees were unhappy because they said that Jesus was blaspheming. Now, what is the word, the meaning of the word blaspheming? Blaspheming basically is to to sort of take claim for yourselves that only God can claim. It's like you're stealing God's glory, right? Stealing God's power. And that's what Jesus, in a sense, seemed to be doing for the Pharisees. Because he was claiming something which only God could do. Forgive sins. Now, why is this such a big deal? Take, for instance, Richmond. So, Richmond... Steals. Ah, uh, why la Why mind me using him as an illustration? Steal, Richmond steals Wise Arsenal shirt. Now he wouldn't do that. Okay, okay. He steals Wise Arsenal soccer shirt, right? Now, why can say to Richmond, "I forgive you," because obviously he is the one, he is the victim of the sin of Richmond. But if I then say to Richmond, I forgive you. You sort of say, hold on a second. How can I forgive Richmond? Who am I to forgive Richmond? After all, he didn't steal my shirt, right? He stole a white shirt. Who am I to forgive Richmond? Unless I'm God. You see, in the Bible, when you do something wrong, your first and foremost offense is yes, against the other person. But first and foremost, it's against God. Now, if you look at Psalm 51, I I didn't bother to put it up. If you look at Psalm 51 in your own time, right? it's a very famous psalm in the Bible, where David, King David, confesses to committing adultery with another man's wife, Bathsheba. He murders Bathsheba's husband to cover it up. He's a great sinner. In Psalm 51, he says, My sin is against you, God, and you alone. And what he's acknowledging is the first offense is always against God, because as the creature, we have failed to live up to the standard of the Creator. So Jesus, when he says to the paralytic, I forgive you your sins, he's actually saying, I am God. He's claiming the powers of God, and this is what the pharisees find so offensive he's blaspheming and that's why we must always understand first and foremost that jesus is god i remember when i first came to preach at btpc more than a decade plus a year ago i remember i was preaching and someone came to me and said oh you know i never realized that jesus was god yes jesus was god And that is what the Pharisees were so angry about because Jesus was claiming to be God. That's why they were angry. Now Jesus, knowing their thoughts, considers them wicked, evil thoughts. Why do you entertain such wicked, evil thoughts? So the Pharisees thought that they were defending God's honor. They were protecting God's honor. But Jesus says, your thoughts are evil. Your thoughts are wicked because they go against the reality. They go against the reality of Jesus' identity. He is God. They go against the reality of Jesus' authority. He has the power to forgive sins. But Jesus doesn't get uh, you know all stroppy and upset and you know kick a big big fuss. He goes out to show the Pharisees and the crowd that he is able to to forgive sins. And to do that, what does he want to do? He's going to heal the paralyzed man. Now, if you think about it, what Jesus says is deeply, profoundly, very complex, right? What is easier to say, I forgive your sins, to tell the paralytic, get up and walk. Now, it can be read in both ways, right? It's easier to say, I forgive your sins, right? I could say to Richmond, I forgive you your sins, but you look at Richmond, he's unchanged, right? He's still the same. You can't see forgiveness. Easier for me to say, I forgive your sins. But what is harder to do? It's harder to forgive sins because in reality, only God can forgive sins. And so God, through Jesus, shows the invisible impossible thing both things are impossible right because if you think about it you think of the famous paralyzed people in the world Okay, so I show you the first guy maybe you don't know this guy does anybody know who this is? who is it? Christopher Reeve right so he was a very fit active man and he was uh, had a great passion for riding horses and he fell off his horse and he became paralyzed and if you actually read uh, he died already he, all his life, was pursuing how to overcome his paralysis. In fact, just before he died, he was going for this like, experimental treatment to try to get his spine fused again so that he could walk. But in spite of his wealth, in spite of his money, in spite of his influence, he never was able to walk again. You think of this other person, uh, Stephen Hawking, right? Again, very famous person. If science could heal Stephen Hawking, he would be able to walk. But all his life, he was never able to walk. You just talk to the physiotherapists in our midst, or the doctors, right? A paralyzed person, using today's most modern medicine, cannot walk. Just not possible. So, the visible impossible thing making a paralyzed person walk is able, in Jesus' eyes, to show the impossible healing of forgiving a person. So, you think about this diagram. Okay, next slide. So, Jesus says he's healing the paralytic. By healing the paralytic, he's showing that he has the power to forgive sins. By showing that he has the power to forgive sins, he's actually showing that he is God. And that is exactly what the crowd is reacting to. When it says the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe because they praised, the, praised God who had given such authority to man. They were not awestruck because the, Jesus could heal the paralytic. They were awestruck because Jesus had been given the authority to forgive sins. But what is even more amazing as we look in this passage is that Jesus as God doesn't just come on earth to forgive us our sins, but he comes to seek and save the lost. So the story goes on in the historical account in verse 9 that Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, So you imagine like the Pharisees, they're like these uh, paparazzi, you know. They're like stalking Jesus, right? Every place he goes. So Jesus goes to have dinner with uh, Matthew and the tax collectors and sinners. Now, in the Pharisees' eyes, this is a big no-no. Because their expectation of Jesus, putting Jesus into their box would be, when the Messiah comes, he comes to save the righteous people, like the Pharisees, and he comes to condemn the sinners. But Jesus doesn't fit into their little box. Jesus comes not to condemn the sinner, but to go and save the sinner. Now, that's such an amazing thing. I want you to just pause for a moment and think about it. right? Put aside all your preconceptions of Jesus. Put aside all your expectations of Jesus. God comes to earth to forgive sins. Not only just to forgive sins, but to go where the sinners are, to find them and to forgive them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get sick, the doctor doesn't come to me, right? I got to go to the doctor's clinic i got to put my name down to the receptionist and usually I wait like half an hour and 45 minutes before the doctor sees me. But here, Jesus, who is God, doesn't set up like the forgiveness clinic where we go there for forgiveness, right? He comes to the sinner to offer forgiveness. Now, the most amazing thing is happening here. But yet... The Pharisees refused to accept Jesus. And we see this because in this passage, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You notice notice here in this passage, there's a parallel between the healthy and the righteous, the sick and the sinners. Jesus is the doctor who comes to bring healing to the sick sinner. But those who are healthy, those who consider themselves righteous, they do not benefit from this Jesus Christ because they think of themselves as righteous and healthy. Now I remember my grandfather, uh, he uh, was a Malaysian and he used to play lots of badminton when he was very young. And he injured his knee, I, I think when he was playing badminton, but as he got older, his knee kept giving him problems. And it was because, you know, when he was walking, you could actually see over the years that his knee was getting more and more crooked. Minko, right? And my mother, who was a doctor, kept telling him, you need to get a knee replacement. You need to get, see a specialist so that you can get your knee replaced and fixed. And uh, my grandfather kept saying, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. Until finally, when he couldn't barely walk anymore, he went to see the specialist and the specialist said to him, that it's too late to have the operation because you're so old now that there's not enough blood flowing through your leg. Now, in the same way, right, Jesus is coming and He's calling sinners. He is God Himself coming to the world, calling sinners. But only those people who recognize that they are sinful, that they are sick, can benefit from this. One of the saddest, I guess, uh memories that I have, was when I was a very young Christian, and my sister, who was studying, had a friend, oh, I remember his name now, I've been trying to remember his name for a week, but now I remember it, just right now, right, okay, anyway, I tried to evangelize this guy, and and, you know, I was a very young Christian, and unfortunately, I I had sinned that day, so I was very distracted, and I didn't evangelize him very well. Later on, I met up with him again, and I actually did two ways to live over the telephone with him. I actually went through all the boxes to evangelize him over the telephone. And at the end of it all, he said to me, Oh, I'm okay. I don't think I need Jesus right now. I always regret that, you know, because many, many years later, I asked him, I said, you know, did you actually end up believing in Jesus Christ? And he said, no. And the fundamental reason is because he thinks he is okay. But he's not okay, he's a sinner. And if he was okay, then Jesus Christ wouldn't need to come to bring forgiveness to him. Now for the Pharisees, part of their problem was that they were focused on the wrong things. Their expectation, their box of the Messiah was wrong. So therefore, Jesus says to them something very offensive. He says in verse 13, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now this is really offensive. Uh, The next slide. To, To the Pharisees, because they are like the teachers, right? It's a bit like, imagine yourself, you go to university or you're in class, and you tell your teacher, go and learn, right? Science, you'll tell your science teacher, go and learn maths, right? Your maths teacher right? or your accountancy teacher, go and learn accountancy. Right? But that's what Jesus is telling the teachers of Israel. He quotes to them Hosea chapter 6. Now in Hosea chapter 6, as we read in the responsive reading, God is condemning his people for being wicked and evil. You notice as well that the priests, the priests are wicked and evil. He compares the priests to a band of robbers. So the band of robbers, they have their schemes, right? So the priests themselves have their wicked schemes. Now, what Jesus is really getting at here, oh, don't take it away so fast. What Jesus is really getting at here is you notice that what Israel and the priests were doing was they were majoring on the minor and minoring on the major. So they were very focused in terms of doing lots of religious things. That's what they paid a lot of attention to. That's what they spent their energies doing. Focusing on the the law, sacrifice, you know, all these little things. But in their relationship with God, they were far, far away from God. Now, when I was reading this thing, it reminded me of like uh, this movie called the godfather okay have you all remember you, you all don't know the godfather it's a very old movie google it okay. so the godfather is a very famous trilogy okay uh and it's about a mafia don now if you actually look in the movie it's very interesting because the there's a lot of times where this the mafia don is in church uh, his his child is getting baptized he's getting some sort of prize in the church and there's a very famous scene actually if you go and look at it i can't remember in the godfather 2 or 3 where while he is in church right at the very exact moment while he's in church his enemies are unsuspecting and while he's in church his you know his henchmen are going out and killing all his enemies while he's in church and i think that that's what jesus is saying of the priests, they are like that it's like you focus on all the small right irrelevant things of worship to god but deep in your heart you are wicked i remember one of my previous pastors said instead of christianity many of us can become churchianity there's a difference between churchianity and christianity So, you know, we can get very caught up with, oh, you know, I I go to church very regularly, I go to Bible study, my knowledge is very good, I uh, do all the right things. But actually, my relationship with God is far away. And my desire to know God is very, very far away. And that's exactly the problem of the Pharisees. Because they are focusing on the externals. Of religion rather than the internal of their relationship with God and their godliness and Jesus says that is why they fail to see who Jesus is they miss out on God coming to earth they miss out on the need for forgiveness because they think because I fulfill all these external religious things I'm right with God and they fail to see that actually in their everyday life they are sinners And we can become like that too. We come to church after a while, we do a lot of religious things, and we fail to see that we are desperate sinners in need of forgiveness from Jesus Christ. So we go on in the passage, and Jesus then is approached by John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, in verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse neither the people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now here, I think, is a really profound section of God's word. Because, you see, John's disciples are coming, and they're saying, look, you know, we fast, we don't just fast once in a while, we fast often, right, we fast all the time, but why is it your disciples do not fast? And Jesus says, it's because they fail to understand who has come into their midst. Now, have you ever been to a wedding, where when you go to the wedding, they say, oh, you know, today we're not going to have our 10-course dinner or our buffet lunch, but we're just going to fast. Right, we're going to fast. No, right, you don't, right? Because fasting is a form of uh, a reflection of the mood of mourning, of repentance. Right, you fast when you're repenting. You fast when you're somber and solemn. But Jesus is saying, look, His coming is like a great wedding. How can you fast when God comes among you? You cannot fast because it's a time of celebration. But more than that, Jesus then goes on and gives these two really strange illustrations, which I think are very alien to us because we're not familiar with these things. right? So in the olden days, people owned very, very few clothes. Maybe one set of clothes, two set of clothes, three set of clothes. And I was reading an article somewhere where the average American buys a new set of uh, clothing items, can be socks even, right? Once every two weeks. That means every two weeks, they're buying something. I think for Singaporeans as well, you might might buy clothes very regularly, right? You go to Giordano or Uniqlo, it's very cheap. So you know when you have holes in your clothes, you usually just throw them away, right? But in the olden days, when you have a hole in your clothes, you patch them. In fact, someone in my Bible study was making this joke. Right? He said, "You know, in the olden days, you buy clothes with no holes. Then, when they're holes, you patch them. But today, you buy clothes with holes in them." Right? Okay. <laughs> so, in the olden days, you buy clothes. You're very one or two or three of clothes, and whenever they're holes, to make them last, you you patch them. The thing is, whenever you wash cloth, right? The clothes sh- shrink, right? Okay. The clothes shrink. Now, I know that some of you your parents wash your clothes for you, or maybe the maids wash your clothes, right? So you don't understand all these dynamics about clothes. But when you have new clothes, usually when you wash them, they shrink. Now, if you then have old clothes, you cannot then patch the old clothes, the hole there with a new cloth, because what happens? The new cloth will shrink, and it will tear the garment. It will make the hole even worse. So, keep that in your mind, okay? Because then it makes sense as well as the second illustration. Then Jesus talks about wine into new wineskin and wine, new wine into old wineskin. Now, if you look here, right? Uh, nowadays, we don't really have an analogy, right? We put wine into wine bottles, right? So, it doesn't make sense. But you know, like you think of a glove, a, a golf glove or any glove right when it gets wet it starts to shrink it it, it, it you know it, this is very supple it's very expensive but then after a while when you use it it becomes very dry and hard and brittle in the same way in the olden days okay, this picture actually is not very representative because it just looks very nice but if you actually google old wineskin usually usually you just get a picture of an animal which is quite gross la. with all the open holes sold up and then they put wine in it la okay so you imagine like a pig right and you just saw all the ends and then there's one hole left and you put wine into it right okay that's the way things are done naturally right okay so what happens is when you put new wine into the wine skin the wine ferments when the wine ferments it emits gases so you need the skin to expand so that it will be able to uh, grow with the gas being formed in the wine. And that's why, if you look at the next slide, okay, this is the old wine skin, right? But if you look at the new wine skin, you can see that it's expanded because the gas has been like bloating out the wine skin. So therefore, you can't put, uh, go back again, uh, Chong, sorry, you can't put new wine into the old wine skin because the old wine skin has lost all its elasticity. It's no longer supple. It's no longer pliable. Right? It will burst when the gas grows. So what is the whole point of what Jesus is saying? Now this is very important, so you need to pay attention. right? Jesus is saying, the John's ba- the Baptist disciples, the Pharisees, they're trying to put Jesus into the old wine skin. They're trying to sew Jesus onto the old cloth. They're trying to fit Jesus into their old box. They're trying to make Jesus fit into their expectations. Their expectations of what a prophet should be like, or a priest, or a king. But Jesus is saying that he is such a big thing, he is such a, like, transformative thing he's God come into the world that you can't fit Jesus into your own little box it will destroy your box right because he's so much greater than a prophet he's so much greater than a king he's so much greater than any priest you must accept Jesus not on your terms your little box but allow him to be who he is God come into the world to forgive people Because the sad thing, I think, even for ourselves now, is that there are people today who want Jesus to fit into their little box. We don't accept Jesus for who He is, but we want Jesus to fit into that little box we've created for Him. But Jesus says, no, you can't. That's like trying to sew a new cloth onto an old uh, garment right is trying to fit new wine into old wine skin now we come now to the last section of this passage and the last section is actually filled with different sort of people and you actually see how those people who view jesus and allow him to be who he is to do the impossible will come to jesus with faith And the same time you see people who reject Jesus because Jesus will not fit into their little box. They will not allow Jesus to be who he is because they want to subject Jesus to their own limitations. So the first person we meet is this synagogue leader whose daughter has died. Now, This person, the synagogue leader, comes and kneels before Jesus and says, oh, you can put it up now, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. This person is actually very remarkable, right? Because up to this point, Jesus has not raised anybody from the dead. Jesus has only healed people. In fact, if you read the whole Old Testament, it's nearly impossible for anybody to be raised from the dead. But yet, this synagogue leader has such great faith in Jesus that he sees that Jesus can do the impossible. I want you to note very carefully what happens when Jesus goes to the synagogue leader's house. Next slide. When he went to the house, how did the people react? When he said he was going to raise up the dead girl, they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They laughed at him because the expectation of Jesus was you are just a healer. That's all you are and that's all you'll ever be because that is my expectation of you. You will just forever be a healer because they don't expect Jesus to raise someone from the dead, but yet this synagogue leader had faith in Jesus, and Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. The next person we meet is the lady who had been bleeding for twelve years. Now just think about that—twelve years. When I look at some of you, that's like half your life, right? She'd been bleeding for half a life. She'd spent all her money trying to get healed. She'd seen many, many doctors. But yet, she was able to see in Jesus someone who could do the impossible and heal her from her bleeding. And indeed, indeed, Jesus does heal her from her bleeding. The third person we see are the two blind men. Now these two blind men are very important. We may not realize it, but they are, because if you look in the beginning of the passage, It says in verse 27, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, Son of David. Son of David is a messianic term. David was King David. The son of King David was the Christ. That was the expectation of the Jews. So when the blind man says, Have mercy on us, Son of David. They're actually calling out to Jesus saying, Have mercy on us, Messiah. Have mercy on us, Messiah. Now, this is so amazing because they actually see in Jesus not just a healer, but the Messiah himself. Now, this is so significant because when you compare it to the tragedy at the end, it is such a contrast because here you have all these people who have faith in Jesus to do the impossible and Jesus does the impossible. The last two were the two blind men, right? But then in verse 34, you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees' reaction to Jesus was, the next one, it is by the prince of demons that you cast out demons. Now this is important because I think the two different sets of people are here put side by side. Then you have two blind people who can see who Jesus is. But you have people who see but cannot see who Jesus is. The Pharisees had been like paparazzi, right? They've been stalking Jesus. They had seen everything that Jesus had done. The paralyzed person walking, they probably saw the woman who was bleeding for 12 years being healed. They probably would have heard about the dead daughter being raised. They saw the demon-possessed man who was mute and deaf speak again and hear again. But instead of having faith, they were hardened in their rejection of Jesus. Now remember, there's this very famous uh, Commentary commentator of the Bible called Matthew Henry. Have you ever heard Matthew Henry? It's, it's, he's a very famous guy. Like, if you get free commentary software, it's always his. Like. Okay, he wrote commentary on all the parts of the Bible. And, uh, you know, he's a very great man and, and very often you can see his commentaries with uh, with stuff. He said, next slide, right, this very famous quote, he says, you know, there are none so blind as those who will not see. There are none so blind as those who will not see. And as we look at today's passage, the challenge for us is, will we see Jesus for who He really is? That He is God, come to forgive sins, and not just come to forgive sins, to come and call the sinner where they are at. Because so often, we can be in danger like the Pharisees or even like John's disciples where we try to pigeonhole Jesus into our little box and we have our very strict expectations of Jesus and we shape him and limit him to our own desires and our own wishes. But in that way, we actually do not really have faith in Jesus. We are thinking evil and wicked thoughts. We fail to see the Jesus who is greater than anything we can compare Him to, who does the impossible. That fundamentally, we need to listen to Jesus and to see that each and every one of us are really sinners. There are no healthy here. There are no righteous. It's like the church is a church of sinners. So I just remember this, uh, story many people, you know, in Australia, there's a true story of a church which is opposite a pub. A pub is where people drink, like, alcoholic spirits all time of the day, right? So apparently the pub owner and, uh, the church pastor were good friends. So in Australia, outside the pub, usually there's a signboard, right? They will put like the lunch specials and everything else. And outside every church in Australia as well, it's usually a signboard as well, where they'll usually put you and tell you like what the church service times are, maybe a patches of scripture, right? So I remember this thing in the newspaper where the pub said, this pub is for drinkers. And then the pastor wrote on the church sign across in the church, he said, this church is for sinners, and I think it's true because the church is not full of good people. The church is actually full of sinners. We are just those who have faith in God who has come in Jesus to forgive us. It's so sad because there are so many people who still persist in viewing the world through the limitations of their own expectations. I remember reading my, sorry, not reading, I remember meeting up with my dad's really good friend. In medical school he was a plastic surgeon very wealthy man he had a lodge on the ski fields he had a house on the beach and he had another house where he lived in so you know he was a very rich man but he had cancer and when i met him uh, i was i was very fortunate i stayed with him a few times when i met him he had about two weeks left left to live and uh, i was trying to share with him jesus christ he always used to call me Padre. I don't know why. Always Padre. Padre, Padre. I don't know. Like Maybe he thinks I'm like, is this western movie or something, right? Anyway, so I was trying to share him Jesus Christ and no, didn't seem like I was getting much headway. And he said to me, he said, oh, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. I'll be all right. And that was his refrain. I will be all right. But the thing is, see, he is not all right. He was not all right. He couldn't see that he was sick in a spiritual sense. He couldn't see that he was a sinner in need of forgiveness. He couldn't see the need of forgiveness from God, who was Jesus Christ. And to me, that was such a sad memory, because here you have only like weeks left in your life. And of the remaining time that you have, you don't even actively want to consider Jesus Christ how do you explain that it's just stubborn rejection you're unwilling to even see outside the box that you have created for jesus christ now as i look at this passage i can't help but think of this man and think of ourselves and really hope that this passage will speak to your heart and to see that jesus christ really is god who has come to give us forgiveness and not only just come to give us forgiveness but he has come to bring for, to forgive us, forgiveness to us right at our feet and we need to have faith in this great Jesus who is God come to earth let's go to God and prayer dear father as we come before you today what a mighty and powerful Jesus uh, is, is shown to us today that when the Pharisees said that he was blaspheming, they really understood that Jesus was claiming to be God and to have the power of God, the authority to forgive. But yet Jesus showed that by raising the paralytic to stand and to walk and to dance and to jump again and to run, that by doing the impossible visible thing, he is able to do the invisible, impossible thing, which is to forgive sins and to show that indeed he is in very nature God and divine. And more than that, his compassion and love brought him to sinners so that he may call them to salvation and forgiveness, that he is the doctor who has come to treat the sick, We pray that we may see that there are no healthy, righteous people before you today. That all of us are in need of forgiveness. Help us not to make the mistake of the Pharisees in continuing to try to measure and to stuff Jesus into our old expectations, but instead to be like the synagogue ruler, the bleeding woman and the two blind men to have faith that Jesus is God in every way and able to do what we even think is impossible. And in every way, put our faith in the mighty Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.